We've been talking about Paul. We're going to continue, God willing, to do that throughout this year. And the, the way I've kind of divided this class up, first we're dealing more with biographical data, what happened in his life. And then after we deal with that, we'll try and deal with concepts, Paul's teachings, Paul's doctrine, what scholars might call Pauline theology. And so we'll move towards that. The first class, of course, had the syllabus uh, attached, and we're following it fairly carefully. This morning, we're talking about Paul's friends and co-workers. And this is an exciting class for me because it's a chance to move through some biographical data about Paul, events in Paul's life. But as we look at some of these events, I want us to do it with a focus toward Paul and his friendships. Friends are important to us. We're all familiar. I don't really care that much for that show. Don't get me wrong. It's very funny, but it's also very destructive to morality. And so I hate something that's destructive to morality and funny at the same time. It makes me want to watch it when I don't want to watch it. So I'm going to change it for Pauline (laughs) theology. And... That's a little bit more suitable for our class. You know, oftentimes we think of friendship as something that's for children, for teenagers. Um, I can tell you that uh, our daughter Rachel, Rachel, where are you? Rachel's here. Is she here? She's there. Our daughter Rachel um, uh, was in a debate tournament this week. It was an extremely important tournament. It's the tournament for this entire district within Texas, which is the largest district in the, in the United States. It, it was a place for this district to select who is going to represent the district in the national tournament. The national tournament's this summer in Las Vegas. It's an incredible honor to get to go. It's very, very difficult because to even go to this tournament, you have to be the creme de la creme of your school. Schools cannot enter as many as they want. It's not just public schools. It's not just private schools. It's any school in this geographical region. And so Rachel and and a dear friend of hers named Courtney got to go to this debate tournament. And it happens over several days. And, And the tournament is set up to be a double elimination tournament. So out of the 60 some odd debaters, they start debating. And you keep debating until you lose twice. Once you lose twice, you pack your bag and you go home. It's very emotionally and mentally draining. It's very physically draining. You're not getting much sleep. You constantly have to be sharp and on target. And it's just debate off, debate off, debate off. It got to the point yesterday where there were only six left. And our Rachel was in the final six. What's more, our Rachel and her dear friend Courtney were the only two undefeateds out of the final six. Now, the way this is set up, the undefeateds debate the undefeateds. So Rachel is set to debate Courtney. And whoever loses has one loss. And remember, two losses and you go home. They're fighting for the coveted final. The the only three get to go. 
from this region. So there are six left. Three get to go. Rachel and Courtney, two dear friends, are set to debate each other. And so they sat down and said, we're not going to do this. They didn't want to flip a coin. They thought it was too random. So do you know what they did? They prayed about it. They sought counsel. And the ultimate decision was that they would... Okay, well, maybe they fought about it a little bit. The ultimate decision was that uh, uh, they thought it would work best if Rachel took the loss voluntarily, which would put Rachel in a position to debate the next round against an opponent that she thought she'd do better with, even though with one loss, if she loses that next round, she goes home. I was very proud of my daughter. I was very proud of Courtney. Courtney was willing to do the very same thing. My daughter wasn't doing something that her friend would not have done too. And so they went into that final round, which I might add, they both won. So they are both going to nationals. It's okay to brag on your kids, isn't it? I'm sorry, but I'm so proud of her. Friends, though, are not something that should be relegated to the ranks of high school. Friends are something that need to be at every age in our life. All of us need friends. My wife has dear friends, people that she's comfortable calling. I have dear friends, people that I'm comfortable calling. Friends uh, are important at any age. Ecclesiastes, the preacher says in Ecclesiastes, the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three is not easily broken. There's strength in numbers. There's strength in relationships. They make a difference in all of our lives, whether we are Nina's age or whether we're uh, Rachel's. It doesn't matter. And it's fitting for us to see our God has expressed himself to us, not only through the Bible, not only through the works of Jesus Christ, but in, in relationship images that are contained in the Bible and contained in, in the walk of Christ. And three that stand out in my mind that I'd emphasize just to put this in the flow and the context. First, God relates to us as creator. And there are times where I need that. There are times in my life where I need the creator God. I need the God who had the power, who had the vision who reigns over all and speaks the worlds into existence. There are times I desperately need that powerful God in my life. There are also times where I don't do good relating to that God. The creator God is almost too much. It's almost circuit overload. There are times where I need God to relate to me as a father. And I was blessed to grow up, and I recognize not everybody has. And, 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 and it may make it difficult for some people to see God as a father. But I was blessed to grow up with a very godly father who would give his life for us in a heartbeat, who loved us with an unconditional, unending love, who provided us security. I can remember when Dad passed away, one of the sensations I had was that insulation between me and the world. Is, has just taken a severe thinning. I mean, I've still got mom. I've got Nina. They'd both give their life for me in a heartbeat. 
But I lost a major layer of insulation and protection from the world. And I thought that as a man in my mid-40s when dad passed away. And there are times I need God as my father who art in heaven. I need Abba Father. I need to know that tenderness and that, that care is there. Someone who cares about how I grow up and what I do and what happens to me. Somebody who cares in ways, if you are a child in here or listening to this on the internet, let me tell you, you will never understand what it's like as a parent. You'll never understand how your parents love you until you have your own children. And then you'll say, wow. But the nice thing about the Bible is we learn that God not only wants to teach us, he can relate to us as creator, he can relate to us as father, but he can relate to us as friend. Friend who walks with us, who talks to us, who eats with us. Jesus said that no one has a greater love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Did Jesus die for you? Then Jesus regards you as his friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. He's our friend. And so friendship is something that Jesus modeled for us, not as a child, but modeled for us as an adult. Because friendship's important to all of us in this room. And so we go back to, sorry, we go back to the issue of friends and what we need to do and how we should engender it and how we find friendship. Now, within the framework of this, I want to pick back up in the story of Paul's life. Paul persecuted the church. Paul was there for the stoning of Stephen. Paul says he cast his vote for that stoning, indicating perhaps Paul was in the Sanhedrin. Paul's holding the cloaks while they push Stephen off the cliff. While they throw the stone on his heart. Paul is going to Damascus to arrest and persecute followers of the way. And Paul has a vision, a revelation. Jesus Christ appears to Paul on the road. Paul goes on into Damascus, a changed man. Ananias comes and lays hands on Paul. Paul is baptized. And Paul starts teaching the gospel he tried to destroy. Now, after a period of time, Paul returns to Jerusalem first time. Think about it. If I'm Paul, I don't want to go back. I don't want to have to walk by the spot where I was responsible for Stephen being killed. Now that I find out that when he saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father and proclaimed it, he was really seeing Jesus. And that I was breaking God's heart as I was killing Stephen. I don't think I'd want to go back and see my buddies at the Sanhedrin. I don't think I'd want to go back and see the people who issued me the papers to go do the arresting of the church in Damascus. 
I don't think I'd want to go back and try to fit in to the people I tried to destroy. That'd be tough. But Paul goes back and the church won't let him in. They won't. In their mentality, Paul was a religious terrorist who was bent on destroying them. They thought the whole thing might be a ruse to get inside. Like 24, if you watch that show. How would you feel if a hated enemy of the church tried to get inside and said, oh, I'm different now? Paul tried to join the church, but the church would not allow it. Here's the way Luke records it. Luke says in Acts 9.26, they were afraid of him. They did not believe he was a disciple. Now this is a problem, folks. What's going to happen? What's the answer? In comes Barnabas, the peacemaker. I worked hard on that shirt now. Y'all acknowledge it. <laughs> Maybe y'all aren't of the generation where, you know, I love that generation stuff Pastor Fleming talked about this morning. Okay, yeah, that's right. Mike's in the generation. He's got the peace sign up. Okay, that's a peace symbol. Barnabas is the peacemaker. Enter Barnabas. Let me tell you a bit about Barnabas. His real name was Joseph. He's from the island of Cyprus. He got the nickname Barnabas, which means son of encouragement in Aramaic. He got the nickname Barnabas from the apostles because he was one of those encouragers. And he is the right guy. He has history with the church. He'd have been good to impact his generation because he had a piece of property. He went and sold that piece of property and gave the money to the apostles to use as they saw fit. That's a believer who'll put his money where his mouth is. In 21st century speak. Barnabas comes in and plays the role of mediary. Mediator. Intermediary. He steps in and finds out enough about Paul to know that the conversion was real. And Barnabas goes to the church and says, guys, he's a brother. He's a brother. And Paul is brought to church by Barnabas. And as a result of the work of Barnabas, Paul's able to go in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And that is the start of a great friendship. Barnabas, as a friend, was willing to put in risk and hard work for that relationship put himself on the line just getting to know Paul. But willing to do it, recognizing that not just the success of friendship, but the success of God's gospel through that friendship was worth the risk. It gave meaning. It's a friendship beyond merely companionship. It's a friendship with purpose. Got that? You want a deep friendship, get a friendship beyond merely companionship, have a friendship with a purpose.
I understand if you fought in Vietnam and you were in a foxhole with someone, you have a relationship and a bond and a forge that those of us who weren't there cannot relate to. When you put yourself on the line or you're involved in something, Bob and I, Dr. Bob and I fought in what we call the Vioxx Wars. Three trials. Years of our lives. And there's a bond there. Not to mention a lot of jokes we share. But it exists. Now what happened to Paul? Paul becomes a Christian here in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, Paul the hunter becomes the hunted. And Paul's old buddies are out to kill him. The apostles recognize this. The church recognizes this. They take Paul and they ship him off to Tarsus, his home, his childhood home, his birthplace. And Paul goes to Tarsus. Let's put it on a map. Damascus, that's where he's converted. On the road there, he meets Jesus. Jerusalem is where he is now. They send him off to Tarsus. And Paul is there, and he's there for years. And if you read Acts, it looks like a couple verses. But if you put the chronology together, Paul's out of the picture for at least five years. So five years later, things are happening. Let me tell you something that's happened. This is ironic. Who's the most prolific missionary of the early church we read about in the Bible? Paul. He was doing mission work before he came to Jesus. Acts tells us that because of the stoning of Stephen and the persecution that arose thereafter, a bunch of the Christians had to leave. And they took their faith with them and went as far as Antioch. And the church starts growing at Antioch because of Paul's persecution of Stephen. It's like we read in church history, I think it was Irenaeus who said, or maybe it was Tertullian, I don't remember, one of the church fathers said that it's the blood of the martyrs that's feeding the church because people understand this is real. You don't die for fair weather. So the church spreads. The church is in Antioch. Jerusalem's saying, we got to do something. All these Christians in Antioch, what are we going to do? They say, well, we'll send Barnabas up there, the peacemaker the mediator, the man who will put his money where his mouth is, the encourager. They send Barnabas. Barnabas goes up there and he says, this is too much for me to handle. Hey, Tarsus is nearby. Antioch, I didn't put up there. I should have put Antioch up there. Antioch is about at, uh, I don't know, 4 o'clock from Tarsus. Not far. He says, five years ago, we sent Paul off to, that's who we need. He can relate to these Greeks. He can relate to these Hellenists. And he can relate to these Jews. So, Antioch. There it is. That was about 4 o'clock. I did put it up there. So, Paul is uh, in Tarsus and Barnabas just goes looking for him. He couldn't page him. He couldn't text him. He wasn't the generation Pastor Fleming was talking about today. Or it would have been a whole lot easier. But he goes, and Barnabas and Paul preach together and teach together in Antioch for a year. They teach Christians because that's where we see the church are first, the members of the church are first called Christians. It's with Barnabas and Paul teaching them in Antioch. Great thing. 
And they spend over a year together doing this, which is wonderful for them because friendship involves time together. It doesn't just happen. It involves time together. Relationship, any relationship involves time together. You're not going to have a good marriage if you don't have time together. You're not going to have good friends if you don't have time together. Um, That's just the way it is. Now, time goes on. Paul and and, uh, uh, Barnabas go down to Jerusalem. They go back up. Uh, And then some trouble sets in. The trouble is, some of the Jews decide that uh, you need to be Jewish to be a Christian. If you want to be a Christian, that's fine, but... If you're a pagan or a Greek, first become a Jew, then become a Christian. After all, the early church were Jews who became Christians. That Jewish part seems to be necessary. And Paul was adamant that that was wrong. The apostles were in agreement that was wrong. But for some reason, Peter shows up in Antioch. And Peter starts acting in front of the Greeks like he doesn't believe it. But then he gets with all the Jews and he starts acting and talking like, yes, yes, they need to be Jews first. Paul calls it hypocrisy. There's trouble in Antioch. Paul says, even Barnabas, my buddy, Barney, as I think he probably called him, even Barney was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Paul just lets it go on and and gets on about his business. Wrong. Paul says it this way in Galatians. He says, I opposed Peter to his face. Because of the conduct that was, quote, not in step with the gospel. Okay? So Paul has no problem confronting them. And, and friends have no problem speaking the truth in love, as Paul would say it in Ephesians. And we can read that and we can think, ooh, that looks kind of harsh the way Paul wrote it. Paul writes rather harshly because he wants the Galatians to understand how important it is that they understand Jesus Christ and his sacrifice paid the price for all of their sins. That it's not faith plus works. There is no merit on our part for the justification we have before God. Paul's writing emphatically and he's writing harshly so the Galatians realize it. If you understand Paul, you know Paul wasn't harsh in the way he dealt with Peter or Barnabas. The very same letter in Galatians is the one where Paul says, Brethren, if any man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So Paul would have done that. And Paul gently helps and he forgives. And they continue to work together. In fact, they go on the first missionary journey together. Starting out at the island of Cyprus, which was Barnabas' home. And then going up to the Galatian churches. There in the Turkey area. We'll cover all of that when we get to Paul's mission trips. But I want to tell you now, they didn't go alone. They took Barnabas' cousin, this kid named John Mark. I really, really like his name. John Mark goes with them for part of the trip. He kind of bails out on them and heads home. But he's there for some of it as their helper. They finish the missionary trip. They come back and Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem. And they tell the apostles about their their trip. This is, in fact, the part of Jerusalem visit, Acts 15, that Pastor Fleming was talking about in his sermon this morning. 
Pastor Fleming said that the decision was made by the apostles and they sent a letter, remember that in the sermon, saying, we're not going to impose any more on you than is absolutely necessary. That same letter that Pastor Fleming was talking about is one that says the following. We all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul. Paul's now a friend of the church in Jerusalem, the people that wouldn't let him in. He's moved into that arena with them. He's moved in. Now, the church, this is one of the reasons there's not a doubt in my mind Luke is dead on Acts. Luke was not written. Acts was not written by someone a hundred years later with an agenda. This is real history. Because I guarantee you those apostles were willing to say, our dear friends, and include Paul, but they listed Barnabas first. That's, that's the way they wrote the letter. Our dear friend, you know, they're not going to give him marquee status like we might today. Today, we would out of deference, our friends, you know. No. Now, friendship is not possessive. Friends are happy when others join the circle. Okay? This is not high school and middle school girls when we're talking about friendship. Okay, we're talking about we're let's grow up in it and be happy to let more friends in the circle. I love Lewis to death. He's one of the best friends I've ever had in my life. But I'd urge all of you to know him that well. He doesn't have enough time and you don't have enough time. But anybody who can become good friends with him will be blessed. Absolutely. Um, they go on mission trip too. We'll talk about this later. There's a big fuss. Barnabas wants to take cousin, John Mark. Paul says, no, he's a quitter. There was, quote, a sharp disagreement, close quote. And Paul and Barnabas don't go together. They split up. Barnabas goes to his home island of Cyprus, taking his cousin. I want to tell you, friendships can involve differences in opinion and even a sharp disagreement without a loss of relationship. And Paul continues to have a good relationship with Barnabas. And even with John Mark, that turns around. And at the end of Paul's life, Mark is with Paul in Rome when, when Paul's writing to the Colossian church. When Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy, with just months left to live, most likely, he's saying, you know, that Mark's useful. Send Mark. There's restoration there, too. Now, here are your points for home. Number one, get some friends. Okay, get them. A man of many companions. I'm not talking about simple companions, though. A man of many companions come to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Get some friends. A friend loves at all times. A brother's born for adversity. That's a Hebrew parallelism. He's saying the same thing. A friend is born for adversity. A friend... Get some friends. You say to me, how? I say to you, talk to Lewis. This is his specialty. <laughs> but not wanting to overburden a uh, counseling schedule, I'll add a couple of, get involved. Get in, get plugged into someone else's life. I'm not saying get friends by saying, I'd like volunteers of who would like to come get plugged into my life and do things for me. You want a friend, you plug into their life and do things for them. You serve others. Next point for home. Oh, by the way, before I go, warning. 
especially high school kids, pick your friends carefully. Young kids, Davis, others I see out there, pick your friends carefully. Bad company corrupts good morals. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 15, I think 30 or something like that. But the righteous chooses his friends carefully because the way of the wicked leads them astray. Be careful who you run with. It changes who you are. Dale sent me an email about somebody from college who told him the two things more than any other that will determine where you are in 10 years and who you are are the friends you pick and what you read. All right, next. If you need a best friend, I vote you go for Jesus. Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command. Jesus wants to be your friend. He wants to not just dwell in your heart. He wants to be first in your life. He wants that time with you. He wants you to have that time with him. He says, I've called you friends. Listen to this. I'm honored that Dr. Bob would call me his friend. And he's done that before. I love Dr. Bob. He's like a brother to me. And I'm honored that he would call me his friend. What honor is there that Jesus Christ calls you as his friend? Because he chose you. You want proof? Greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for his friends. He did that for you. He wants to be your friend. Last point for home. Oh, wait. Need a best friend? How? On Jesus? Invest your time and energy with him. I'm not talking Sunday morning only. Jesus said in Matthew, where your treasure is, there you'll find your heart. That's a real principle. What you invest your energy in is where your heart will be. That's why you be careful who you date, children. Because where you invest your time and your energy, you're going to find your heart. You don't want your heart in places it doesn't belong. You'd like to think, oh, my heart's bulletproof. Wrong. But the same principle is true with God. You invest your time and you invest your energy. You invest your treasure. You invest what you have in your life in Jesus. And your faith will grow. Your relationship will grow. It will happen. And your heart will be there. Final point. Thank God for the friends that you do have. Every good and perfect gift is from Him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we do come to you with thanksgiving in our hearts for the beautiful gifts you've given us. It is my prayer that you will find the lonely people in here and that your spirit will not just nudge their heart. I want your spirit to loudly proclaim in their heart with ringing in their ears that you have called them to a life beyond loneliness. That it starts with you in their heart. That they can talk to you 24-7. They don't need to text message you. They don't need to IM you. They merely need to commune with you. That you will draw any who don't know you into that relationship so that you dwell within them as they experience a rebirth in you. That you would move in their hearts if they don't understand what any of this is about to come down and talk to some of us. And Father, for those who understand and just don't seem to have friends, would you open doors and provide friends? May those folks seek 
to befriend someone else and to serve others. And then through that, may your kingdom not only expand in our lives, but in our community and in our world. We pray all of this through our dear friend, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Amen.